turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. All right, you know what that music means, right? Means that it is uh, just seconds away from 3 o'clock here in Southern California. The Thursday edition of Southern California Live is commencing. I'm Bob Lapine. The uh, two-lane highway here at... uh, KKLA, KPRZ is now open, so you've been listening today to Bible teaching on these stations, and now it's time for us to have a conversation, time to engage, time to talk about the issues that are ahead for us, the issues that we're facing, and how we think about those issues from a biblical perspective. We're going to talk about something here in this first hour that... uh, Well, I I think we need to get ready. Most of us, most who pay attention to what's going on at the Supreme Court, are pretty convinced that this summer the court is going to hand down a decision in a case that will be known as the Dodds case. And that decision will either... uh, reverse the court's decision in Roe versus Wade, the landmark 1973 Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion in America. Or if it doesn't reverse that case, it will it will uh, open the door for states to put restrictions on abortion. And already, by the way, states are posturing in that direction. The state of Oklahoma has made it illegal to perform an abortion. Other states have said it's illegal to perform an abortion after 12 weeks, 15 weeks. States, states that are where the legislature, where the people tend to have pro-life sensibilities, those states are beginning to line up their laws so that if the Supreme Court makes the decision that's expected to be made. Uh, those states will have laws on the books that will that will make abortion either difficult or illegal in those states. Missouri has just taken steps in that direction as well. Here in California, just the opposite is happening. Our state legislators, our our governor Uh, represent a, I think we would have to say, a radical, committed, uninhibited, pro-abortion mindset, where not only do they want to make sure that abortion is legal through every stage of fetal development, but they also want to make sure that um, it's available to people beyond California. There is talk about California becoming a sanctuary state when it comes to abortion. And 
we're going to talk today and tomorrow about what that means, about what's ahead for us. Uh, but there, there is talk that if abortion is outlawed in other parts of the country, there are some in California who want to open things up so that people in other states who want an abortion can come to California at our expense. We will pay for transportation and housing and for the procedure so they can get the abortion they want. This is the polarization. I mean, are we living in a polarized culture right now? Absolutely. When the Supreme Court case gets handed down, it is going to be more polarizing. It, it, we're going to see, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a prophet. And, and I go back two years ago to the summer of 2020 and everything that happened with George Floyd and the, the protests and the riots that happened then. I think some of that could happen again when the Supreme Court decision gets handed down. This will stir passions on both sides of the issue. And I am not presuming, as I come to this microphone today, I'm not presuming that everybody listening is pro-life. Now, here's what I, I am presuming that most of you who listen to KKLA and KPRZ, you, you are people who generally would lean in a pro-life direction. Some of you are committed in that direction. Some of you are, um, you, you lean that direction, but you have, you, you, there's some ambivalence related to that. But I also know, because I've, I've looked at the polls, that in very conservative churches, very conservative denominations, somewhere between one, one out of three or one to, to one out of five of people who are regular churchgoers in those denominations favor uh, abortion being legalized. So we're not of one mind on this subject. And, and when and if the Supreme Court makes the decision that is anticipated, if they reverse Roe or if they open the door for restrictions on abortion as is expected, I think the polarization and the division is going to be significant. And for us here in California, uh, we're going to be on the front line of this because of the activist stance being taken by our state government to want to be a, uh, a beacon of abortion light in the country. We want to be known for being a pro-abortion place for people to come. And we got to get ready for this. As, as citizens, as, as people in this state, we, we have to think strategically. As Christians, we have to think wisely and strategically about what we're going to say, what we're going to do, how we're going to react, how we're going to live, how we're going to uh, have conversations with our neighbors who approach this subject differently, uh, what we're going to do if if our state government is, in fact, 
going to start allocating state resources to pay for uh, transportation and lodging and abortions for people from out of state? Is that is that what the people of California want us to be doing with with state tax money? And so, as I we'll, we'll talk about it again today and tomorrow. But I've I've got a a longtime friend who is joining us today um, to help us think through this because this is something that is very much on his heart and on his mind and uh, something that he has given his his life and his professional career to in recent years. Uh, Rollin Warren is the head of CareNet, a national pro-life, actually, as, as they like to say, pro-abundant life ministry, working with um, pro-life clinics all around the country, volunteers, uh, individuals, uh, it's been a while since we've talked, but I'm glad to have him joining us today. Rollin, welcome to the program. Glad to be with you, Bob. Yeah, so for those who don't know about CareNet, just explain the ministry to us, will you? Sure, sure. Yeah, CareNet is a, a ministry uh, that was started back in 1975 by uh, Francis Schaefer, C. Everett Coop, Harold O.J. Brown, and uh, Billy Graham was involved uh, as well, uh, really focused on uh, trying to help um, uh, women and men facing pregnancy decisions have an alternative to abortion. So we have a number of ministry uh, platforms, if you will. Um, uh, the, the largest that people know about is, is uh, the network of pregnancy centers. There are about 1,200 uh, pregnancy centers across the country who, uh, when someone is facing a pregnancy decision, can come there for compassion, hope, and help. And uh, we've got a growing uh, ministry uh, in terms of outreach to uh, churches uh, to, to help transition people from pregnancy centers to the church for ongoing uh, support and discipleship. So uh, as you said aptly, uh, you know, we don't consider ourselves be, to be pro-life, but to be pro-abundant life based on John 10, where Christ said, I came that you might have life and have that life abundantly. And so we really feel that that's a guiding principle for the work that, that we do. And I can kind of unpack that a little more as we, as we talk, if, if you'd like to. You mentioned C. Everett Koop and Francis Schaeffer back in, in the mid-70s after Roe versus Wade had become the Supreme Court decision that was the law of the land, uh, their, in, their work in helping to found this. And I, I just have to tell you, um, my wife and I, who were dating in, in the mid-70s, went on a Sunday night to a local church mm-hmm. to see the, the first film in the... Um, whatever happened no it, it was a how then shall we live uh yeah, film yeah. series mm-hmm. that francis schaefer did and that first film was all about abortion mm-hmm. and and i have to tell you Rollin, we walked in as people who had not really given this a whole lot of thought our our general sensibility was well i wouldn't want my sister or my daughter or you know i wouldn't want somebody i know to to have to have one but i guess it should be legal for you know people should make up their own minds we walked out that night having seen that film and i went oh my goodness i i have never thought seriously i've never thought uh biblically about this it it was a paradigm changer for me i i went from being squishy to being committed to the biblical value of life as a result of that film that night 
Yeah, absolutely. So many Christians at that time. In fact, that's why CareNet was uh, was founded. It was actually called the Christian Action Council then, and then transitioned to CareNet as we started to build the network of pregnancy centers. Uh, Many of the Christian denominations that you you think of as being solidly pro-life back then were either indifferent or even pro-choice. That was sort of the point of view. It wasn't an issue that Protestants and evangelicals had thought deeply about, and and a large measure of the Catholics were sort of carrying the water, if you will, on the issue. And uh, and, uh, some folks came to the, the the, the folks that I mentioned, and said, hey, Protestants, evangelicals need to be involved, and and um, and this ministry was founded in, in order to do that. And so we, we are we are standing on the shoulders of some pretty amazing folks, and 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 we've been right there since a couple years after Roe v. Wade was decided. Your leadership in this arena is something that's very personal to you and to your story. Uh, you grew up with a single mom, and. Yeah. And then you, as a student at Princeton, um, your girlfriend got pregnant, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, my my girlfriend, now my wife of, of uh, forty years, May first, uh, got pregnant. I was nine. Uh, I was twenty. She was nineteen. Uh, she was a sophomore. I was a junior. And and when we, you know, were Christians at the time, but we're obviously doing stuff that Christians shouldn't be doing. Found ourselves pregnant. Uh, she went to uh, student health services at Princeton and uh, got a pregnancy test. Uh, the nurse came out, uh, said it's positive, and without even taking a gulp, said, "Now, of course, you're going to have an abortion." And uh, and she said, well, no, I, I, I don't want to have an abortion. Uh, I don't want to have my baby. And the nurse, nurse persisted, how are you going to graduate from Princeton with a baby? And, and by the way, what do you want to do when you graduate? And, and uh, my wife, you had said, I want to become a doctor. And she said, well, gosh, how are you going to become a doctor with a baby? And she came back, you know, to the dorm. And, you know, I imagine we kind of sat there and, and um and, and she gave me that news, and, you know, essentially, by the grace of God, I said, well, no, we're going to move forward with the plan. You know, I'm going to be a husband to you and a father to our child growing inside of you, and, and that's what we did. And she graduated from Princeton with not one baby but two. Both of our sons were, were born while she was an undergrad at, at Princeton uh, and then went on to become a doctor. She's been practicing medicine for over 25 years. So I've seen firsthand, you know, a, a couple things that, you know, I know how difficult the, the decision can be for someone who's facing it. I've lived it, you know, especially having grown up in a single uh, mother home uh, with a mom who got pregnant uh, the first time when she was about 16, 17 years old, had me when she was 19. So uh, I understand uh, the, the, the challenge there, but I also know God's plan and God's design for family, and that's really informed a lot of what what we do at CareNet. Like my story is, is, is in, in some ways part of the narrative of why we approach the issue the way that we do, uh, which is probably a bit different uh, from, from how maybe some other uh, organizations may approach it in that regard. Did you or Yvette hear a little voice in the back of your head when you were faced with this news that said, you know, maybe the easiest, maybe, maybe we should just go ahead and do this. Did you, did you face that as a temptation? Well, you know, I've got to say, we, we, we just, we just didn't. I mean, for some reason, by the grace of God, we just said, no, we, we didn't want to complicate one mistake with another mistake. And uh, and I really think it was the grace of God that you know, we didn't think about it more because the reality is we had no idea how we were going to take care of ourselves. Our parents essentially cut us off, uh, so we had no financial support to finish school. We had and and we got through. I graduated from Princeton. She did. God just provided all the way. So that's given me a passion around around this issue. And, and, and you know it's interesting because when you when I think about my wife and the decision that she made and the situation she faced. It was part of what informed the work here at CareNet, because as soon as I got here, one of the, the narratives that God gave me was the birth of Christ and the fact that mm. Mary was 
a young woman facing an unplanned pregnancy from a human perspective, and she had hopes and dreams for her life, <laughs> and in her life with Joseph that d- did not include a child at this time and in this way. And, of course, the circumstances of the pregnancy were the same, but the consequences or the perspective that she had in many ways was similar. That she, What's Joseph going to say? What's my family going to say? What's my community going to say? How am I going to take care of this child? And yet in that moment, Mary didn't focus on the uncertainty of what she of what she didn't know, like all those things, she focused on the certainty of what she did know, that there's a life growing inside of her, and it's not a life worth sacrificing, but a life worth sacrificing for. And she said, what, let it be on to me, as you have said. And so my wife had sort of a, her, sort of tapped into her inner Mary, if you will, and, and had that same decision. And, 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 the, and that's a really important narrative in the pro-life movement. But, you know, if you continue to look at that narrative, right, in the first chapter, first book of the New Testament, what did God do to make sure that Mary's unplanned pregnancy wasn't a crisis pregnancy? Well, he sent an angel to Joseph, much in the same way in my, in my dilemma, right? Joseph was a man. He had a plan. His plan was to put Mary away quietly, which was basically a cultural version of an abortion, if you will. But the, God came to him. The angel came to him and said, no, no, I want you to be a husband to her and a father to the child growing inside of her. So what you see in that story in the birth of Christ is that there are actually two sanctities, the sanctity of marriage and family, and the sanctity of life. But the first one that was affirmed in the scriptural narrative was actually the sanctity of marriage and family, and it's a part of this work that we've missed. So we focus on the sanctity of life, but we're not focused as much as we need to be on the sanctity of marriage and family. In other words, engaging men in this process to tap into their inner Joseph. And I heard your sort of monologue before talking about how do we prepare and what do we do. Well, a key part that's been missing in the pro-life movement for decades has been this whole focus on engaging men in this process. And we've taken drinking some of the Kool-Aid from the other side that says this is just about a woman and a baby, as opposed to about a family, a man, a woman, and a baby, and God's design for marriage and family. So a big part of the pro-abundant life perspective is God's design for family, and it's a big part of our ministry model in terms of what we do. Well, and of course, you spent years giving leadership to the National Fatherhood Coalition, so that's something that has been a passion for you as well, calling men to be husbands and fathers and to live that out. Absolutely. And we actually hosted the first annual, the first ever, rather, uh, pro-life men's conference, uh, March 4th and 5th at Dr. Tony Evans' church. And it was just amazing to see we had over 500 men come from across the country uh, to commit themselves to this work, to repent for abortions that they participated in. And and really, uh, men are an unreached people group, and they're key to to this issue. Men are the most influential in a woman's decision to abort. We did a national survey with LifeWay where we asked women who had had abortions and men who participated in abortions about the man's involvement. And when we asked the woman, who did you talk to? Him. Who was the most influential? Him. We did the same kind of survey with men who had participated in abortion. Who did she talk to? Me. Who was the most influential in her decision to abort? I was. So that's why the other side wants men to stay silent and play like Adam. Because men have a tremendous role in terms of stemming the tide of abortion, and yet even on the pro-life side, we have not engaged men in the way that God engaged Joseph. Joseph had a a similar call. An angel went to Mary, an angel went to Joseph, and and we have not done that in this movement. And that's one of the reasons why we haven't had the success that I believe that God really wants us to have. It's got to be this pro-abundant life perspective, not just pro-life. Roland Warren is joining us. He is the CEO of CareNet, and we're talking about what we all expect is going to happen this summer, a change coming. 
We're not exactly sure what that change will be. It could be the reversal of Roe versus Wade. It could be opening up the door for states to impose restrictions on abortion. What are you doing at CareNet to prepare for what's going to come down in the middle of the summer? Well, we've, we've continued to do what we've always done. <clears throat> Excuse me. What we've always done. See, here's the thing. People say, well, is Roe v. Wade going to be overturned? And I, and I always answer the same way. Uh, Roe v. Wade is being overturned every day. Every time a woman who's facing a pregnancy decision decides to bring her child into the world, she's overturned Roe v. Wade in her heart mm. and in her mind. And that's a power that we have regardless of what the, what the court says. And when you start to think about the issue that way, you go, like, oh, my gosh, whatever the decision is, not that I don't – it's not that I don't care about it, but the reality is the work that we need to do doesn't change because we have a power when you don't just think about this issue through a legislative lens, but you think about it through a ministry lens to turn a Starbucks into a pregnancy center because we can have a life-transforming conversation. We can engage men and encourage him to step in, uh, to step into that relationship. And, and the other piece, which is a key part of our work is the second part of a pro-abundant life perspective. The first is God's design for family, but the second piece is God's call to discipleship. You know, when you talk to Christians and you ask them if they're pro-life and they say yes, what you find with many of them is as you ask them to prove it, they'll tell you who they voted for. You see, and don't get me wrong, there's a political component to abortion, but the reality is that the issue is not primarily political. It's a discipleship issue. If helping a woman who's facing an unplanned pregnancy is a good work, then the reasons why Christians do good works is for the same reason that Jesus did good works. He did good works to what end that folk might become disciples of Jesus Christ. So if you're only looking at this through a legislative or political lens, what you miss is, oh, wait a minute, that woman facing the unplanned pregnancy, could it be that God is using that unplanned pregnancy in her life in the same way that an unplanned pregnancy was used in Mary's life, to what end, that she might become a disciple of Jesus Christ? Right? And so when you think about it that way, you realize that the key to, to a, role, a post-role environment in a God-honoring way is actually the church. It's actually mobilizing small groups in the church to come alongside folks who are facing pregnancy decisions to offer them compassion, hope, help, and discipleship in the name of Jesus Christ. But if you're only thinking about this through a political lens, you're going to miss that amazing opportunity that we have. And that's a big part of CareNet's model. And we've developed this research called Making Life Disciples in partnership with Dr. Tony Evans that's specifically designed to help small groups and churches learn how to come alongside someone who's facing a pregnancy decision to offer them compassion, hope, help, and discipleship to break the intergenerational cycle of abortion and help them move into a, a not just a life, but also abundant life consistent with God's design. Mm-hmm. So much to talk about here and so so much to engage with. I, I want to go to our listeners and invite you into the conversation. 888-52-TALKS, 888-528-2557. I would love to hear from you this afternoon. If, if First of all, if you have a story, if, if abortion or considering abortion, an unplanned pregnancy, if that's a part of your story and you want to talk about your experience with that and just share God's work in the midst of that, we'd love to hear from you, 888-52-TALKS. I'd love to talk to you if you as a listener aren't sure that the the pro-life message is really what the Bible teaches. Or maybe you think, well, it is, but for some reason you think 
we need to keep abortion legal because that's just again I'd, I'd love to know your your thinking your reasoning your argument related to that um and then wh- what are you do are you doing anything specifically actively in terms of living out your pro-life convictions call us and share that with us 888-52-TALKS 888-528-2557 Rollin Warren is joining us the CEO of CareNet and we're talking about how we get ready for uh, a change in the landscape that a lot of us believe is coming our way we'll take a time out and uh, get to your phone calls as the Thursday edition of Southern California Live continues Southern California Live on KKLA and KPRZ. Thursday afternoon, I'm Bob Lapine. Thanks for joining us. We're talking about the fact that change is coming, and yet there's still going to be an ongoing need for uh, the Church of, of Jesus Christ to, to stand firmly in favor of life. Uh, Rollin Warren is joining us, the president of Karen, CEO of CareNet, uh, a ministry that that does that that's got Christian uh, care centers all across the country. In fact, in California, you've got pro life clinics here in California, right? Oh, we absolutely do. Yeah, they're they're all over all over the state, and it, it's a great state for this work. A lot of amazing people uh, doing work, often compassion, hope, and help to, to folks at risk for abortion. And as you know, the, the climate in California is a challenging one, but uh, just steadfast sol- soldiers for the Lord that are there. So, yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. I want to talk about that climate. I want to get to our callers. Again, you can join us at 888-52-TALKS, and we're going to get to you in just a second. But, Rollin, before we do that, talk about what is being considered, uh, because folks, I don't know that they necessarily understand the, the idea of California being a sanctuary state. What does that mean, and, and how should we be thinking and responding to that? Yeah, I think a good way to, to, to kind of think about this is, is, you know, California has a lot of tourism, <laughs> right? So right. it's not really sanctuary. It's actually the wrong word. It's actually, it's actually abortion tourism, hmm. right? Sanctuary is a place that provides safety, right? And, and, and you, abortion sanctu- sanctuary is actually sort of an oxymoron because it's not a sanctuary for the child who's growing inside the mom. And frankly, it's not even a sanctuary for her because there's, there, there is physical, emotional, spiritual, and social you know, trauma and, and, and disconnection that comes as a result of, a, of an abortion. Um, it's, it's, so sanctuaries are a place of peace, and abortion actually disrupts the peace, the peace in the womb, the peace in the families, the peace in communities. So it's really sort of marketing to call it sanctuary. <laughs> sanctuary. It's actually tourism. And you've got Disney World, Disney, I mean, Disneyland, right? You've got <laughs> Knoxbury Farm, all these different places. And people come there for a consumer product. And that's the way to kind of think about this. So I think one of the first things is just taking the language back uh, and, and making the language accurate. This is abortion tourism because they believe that abortion is a consumer service, a consumer product that women want to need. So that, that's really what we're talking about here. And all the things that you would imagine would happen with a tourism industry, hotels and b- businesses and all kinds of other places, uh, providing discounts and things of that na- na- nature in order to support this tourism. It's a revenue-generating thing. And again, you shouldn't be surprised by that because the view is that abortion is a morally neutral consumer product or service. 
And so anything that you would have that in an environment where it's a morally neutral consumer product and service, that's the thing that you would have that would be built around this. So that's what you'd be talking about in California. And and I think we we need to at least express our opinions to our government about what is being proposed here and say this is not something we want the state to get involved in promoting a tourism business around abortion to people in other states. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's not life-affirming. It's not life-giving. It's, it's life-destroying. And I think yeah. that there, there's an important thing. Now, the opportunity that we have certainly is that those folks will be coming to the state. And again, as I say all the time, you have an opportunity to help someone who's facing a pregnancy decision change their mind and have a life-affirming conversation. So even in that situation where people are coming to the state, there's a unique opportunity to reach those people to help them, have, uh, help them come to a, a life-affirming uh, decision in that process. And if you will, that's the opportunity that presents itself in, in, in an oversized uh, way in California, given, given this focus on abortion tourism. And we should say government is already supporting, they already lean in a pro-abortion direction. Uh, Planned Parenthood gets government funds to support what they do. CareNet, you're not getting any government funding, are you, for the work that well, you're doing? No, I mean, pregnancy centers, it, it's all based on the work that, that folks and communities do, and sort of the mother's milk of support for pregnancy centers is churches. And that's one of the reasons, Bob, that I think this is so important. The church has an enormous opportunity and need to respond here. Look, there are only about 3,000 pregnancy centers in all of the United States. There's over 400,000 churches. Someone who's facing a pregnancy decision, right, if, someone, if a group of folks in that church are trained so that they can come alongside that person who's facing a pregnancy decision, that's an enormous opportunity there. See, the reason why women have abortions and men support them has a lot to do with with, with the missing support. A woman is making a decision from conception to birth about, about the abortion based on the support she has after birth. That's the reason why 86% of the women that have abortions are unmarried. And that's why when I talk about the sanctity of marriage and family and the sanctity of life, you're not going to solve the abortion issue without a focus on God's design for family. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's why you have to engage men, because the guy steps into that role, that woman, like my wife, becomes much less likely to have an abortion. But when mm-hmm. that's not possible, when, that's, when he's not going to do that, and even, frankly, sometimes when he is, they need support, that's the role of the church, to come alongside what I call these cultural orphans and widows, based on James one twenty seven. right? Religion that is pure and faultless in God's sight, what do we do? We care for the orphans and the widows. The difference was, back then, what was an orphan? It was a child without a father the father had died, and what was a widow was typically a mother without a husband. Well, the difference is today that guy may be saying to that mother and that child, you're dead to me. So that's the role of the church to step into that. That's why you have to not be thinking about this issue primarily through a political advocacy role. Right. You need to be thinking about it from a, from a care perspective, and the church is the biggest player in the care environment and why it's so critical for people in churches to organize and get trained. And let me just say this one thing. We, I encourage them to go to makinglifedisciples.com, makinglifedisciples.com. There's a ministry kit there that can help train small groups in your church to come alongside folks. We have plenty of small groups, and most small groups about us loving us. What if our small groups became about us loving them? So that someone who's facing a pregnancy decision in the church or outside the church has a small group of committed Christians who will walk alongside them to offer them compassion, hope, help, and ultimately discipleship uh, so they can become disciples of Jesus Christ. 
Roland Warren is joining us this afternoon from CareNet. Uh, let's go to the phones. 888-52-TALKS is the number. Alisa is on the line from L.A. with us this afternoon. Alisa, welcome. Hi, good afternoon. Um, what a wonderful topic and uh, that you're discussing. I'm here in my car driving, overheard the conversation, and I just wanted to say, first of all, that you're speaking to a woman that has experienced several abortions. Hmm. And I just want your public to know this loudly. Jesus Christ can heal a person. Yes. I have been delivered from the, the weight of that sin that only Jesus can heal. Hmm. Abortion is a spiritual matter. This is a spiritual assault and warfare against our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the creator of life. Any woman who is taking control of that, you are in direct assault. God had to show me that I, I actually assaulted him. This mm. was an assault against the living God, our wonderful creator, Jesus Christ, the giver of life. And when you really dig deep and you repent from that, and God opens the eyes of a woman or a man to show them the gravity of this sin, then he can come in and do the divine work that needs to happen on the heart of that person. Not until then, and I do mean not until then, can a person truly be delivered. And I thank thee to God that he was merciful, his grace is sufficient. We are living, I live in California. It is pure evil. I'm telling you, this nation (laughs) needs to rapidly repent because we're about to fall under some serious judgment of God. I pray for this country. I pray for the nation. We as Christians in the Church need to get together and start praying. This is a spiritual battle. This is not flesh. This is demonic. It's, it's spiritual. We need a spiritual revival of men and women of God to get on our knees and cry out for mercy. We need to repent. Um, I do want to give notice to a wonderful organization where I receive healing. It is called No Longer Bound. Pastor Mark mm-hmm. Little, his wonderful wife, Tigra Little, they have started a ministry. It's a three-day retreat. Call them up. Go to it. This weekend coming up, they're doing a retreat so men and women can be delivered from abortion. And I'm telling you, it's a divine healing that only Jesus Christ can do. Amen. Alisa, Amen thank, you, thank, thank you for that testimony, for your courage to, to uh, testify, and for the, the grace of God that is indeed, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I just, I so appreciate your call. And, and Roland, that, she's right about the demonic nature of abortion and the spiritual issue we're facing, isn't she? Oh, absolutely. I always tell folks that the first abortion actually happened in the Garden of Eden in, in, the con- in that context, because abortion at its core is you kind of saying who you believe God is in your life and what role you believe God should have in your life and in your future. And so when Eve grabs the fruit, says, basically, it's my fruit, my choice. Sound familiar? And what does the <laughs> guy do? What does Adam do? Stands there silent, thinking yeah. <laughs> that all, it's her fruit and her choice, and I have no agency. But what happens later? What God comes, and he looks for who? Adam. Adam. And what does Adam say? The woman you gave me. So he cast blame on God and on the woman. So in the garden, they had 
community and unity. They were in unity in community, which is really sort of God's design, both in the Godhead and in the family. And abortion, just like the first sin, it destroyed the unity and community. So at its core, it really is a spiritual issue. And that's the reason why the connection to the church is so critically important, because the church can help folks, as the caller said, be forgiven and set free. And it's a big ministry model that CareNet actually have, which is called Forgiven and Set Free, which is really to help those um, who face the abortion decision to, to find the healing uh, that comes with Jesus, Jesus Christ. So that's uh, you know, a key part of, of our ministry response to this issue. Rollin Warren is joining us this afternoon. Susan, stay put. We're going to get to you, but we got to take a quick break. 888-52-TALKS is the number, 888-528-2557. We're talking about what it means to be pro-life and how we can how we can live that out and what what are you doing to live that out call and share that with us 888-52-TALKS is the number we'll continue the conversation as your Thursday edition of Southern California Live continues Eight 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 fifty two talks is the number 888-528-2557 we're talking about being pro-life, pro-abundant life. We're talking about the change that we anticipate is coming this summer, but there is still plenty of work to do in the hearts and minds of people as it relates to the issue of abortion. Uh, Rollin Warren is joining us. He is the CEO of CareNet, one of the largest groups of uh, pro-life clinics all around the country, doing so much in the pro-life movement. You can go to care-net.org or just Google CareNet and find out about all the work they're doing and and check out their website. Rollin's story is uh, available video on the website. Susan is on the line with us in Anaheim. Susan, welcome to the program. Thanks for hanging on. Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm really glad I got to hear this while I was driving. I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing because it's, uh, it's hope. It's giving hope to, to people who don't know hope yet. And mm-hmm. I think it's really important to come along and be present in people's lives. And my best friend saved a 17-year-old girl from having an abortion at seven months. Um, because she had gone through the grocery store and her, the mom, the grandma, just was down and out. And she just asked her, what's going on with you? And she says, my daughter's going to have an abortion because she's 17. And she just, you know, I'm a single mom. Now she's going to be a single mom. To make a long story short, she convinced her that she had best friends who were who had infertility. And that was me and my husband. And, and she talked to her. And she came alongside her. And we met. And... She was going to um, put her, her baby up for adoption, but after having a cesarean, she changed her mind and decided to keep the baby. And we mm. were devastated that one week later, there was a woman, and God orchestrates things in our lives when we're looking for it, doesn't he? And what happened was there was this amazing Christian woman in Orange County named Jacqueline who worked for an organization, and she was coming along women who were found, found themselves pregnant. And were wanting to make a choice for life, but knew that they couldn't take care of their child. And to make a long story short, um, the birth mother of my daughter had chose three different parents, and all three backed out. And the same week that um, we found out we weren't going to be adopting our little boy, she found out that the third parent had canceled 
adopted because of crazy situations that came up in each of those parents' lives. And we wow. got to adopt that baby. <laughs> and th- th- that was in the 90s. And what it was is Jacqueline gave that mom hope, right? Yes. My best friend gave that 17-year-old hope. And she gave us, all those friends gave us hope because we had infertility and we were trying to do everything right. And what's amazing, when my daughter was in high school, she, there, there was a lot of going on about abortion. And she decided to go to school with tape on her mouth to, to represent those who didn't have a voice. Mm. And the principal called me and said, we can't have her doing this. She has to participate. <laughs> But she chose to have that tape, and we were in the car later that day, and her best friend was in the car, and her best friend said, I don't understand. You know, like, if I was pregnant, I wouldn't want to get an abortion. And my sister, my sister, my daughter said to her, would you not want me to exist? Because mm. I'm adopted. Yeah. And she said, I had no idea. I didn't know that, that w- adoption was even a choice. Mm. So when we're looking at having a plan... Yeah. You know, we in the church need to be in the hands and feet of Jesus. But here's something that my three-year-old son said to me in a, at the red light, and this will just take your breath away. <laughs> the three-year-old would have this kind of wisdom. He said, Mommy, how come um, sis, her, um, Sissy's mom couldn't keep her? And I said, well, she just wanted, she couldn't. She didn't have the money. She wanted her daughter to have a good life, and she couldn't give it to her. And my three-year-old son says, well, Mommy, why didn't you give her money so that she could take care of her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah. I was like, a three-year-old just told me that. <laughs> How do I respond to that? <laughs> yeah. So when yeah. we think about abortion and adoption and foster care, we need to be thinking about how we can come along and be hope to those who are, who are experiencing hopelessness and can't yeah. see the, the bigger picture of that God loves life, and he wants to hold life, and there's so much potential in every yeah. child's life. Susan, and obviously this is something that's very life. personal to you, something that, that you feel very deeply about, and I, I'm grateful for your call and for what you've shared with us. And Rollin, I'm thinking to myself, most of the time when there's an unwanted pregnancy, an unplanned pe- pregnancy, uh, that that's kept in the dark. I mean, I, I think most yeah. of us don't feel like we have an opportunity to say something because we don't know that there's a coworker who just found out that she's she's experienced an, an unplanned pregnancy. She doesn't come to work and say, oh, well, guess what? I'm I'm pregnant out of wedlock. Uh, so what do we do so that we can be in our community that provide the kind of hope for those people who we don't know what they're going through? How do we do that? Well, I think it, it, you know, it, it's really, frankly, from my standpoint, it's really about the availability and making sure that we as Christians um, have a life-affirming, um, you know, sort of persona about who we are, and we and we tell our stories, and we and, and like the story that that woman just told. I mean, that's what gives hope. That's why Yvette and I, you know, God had Yvette and I tell the story. We've, I've had so many, you know, young people come up to me, you know, who were young at the same time, who were young, nineteen, eighteen, in college, and they're like, my gosh, I can do this. I I had had so many people come up and say, once I heard your story, I knew that I could do this. And it really hmm. is around hope. And that's what Christ did. He led with compassion. And when he was compassionate towards people, and, and we're compassionate when we tell our stories, then it gives people hope and then we can give people help. 
And I just want to say something. Her three-year-old son <laughs> um, had some insight there. This is what I'm talking about in terms of making life disciples. People, we as Christians need to be coming alongside people. Yes, adoption is an option, and it's a life-affirming option. But also coming alongside someone who wants to bring their child into the world and say, we will walk alongside you as disciple-makers. That's not something that pregnancy centers can do, because pregnancy centers' work is from conception to birth, and maybe a little bit further. But if you come into a pregnancy center with a 10-year-old, there's nothing we can do for you unless your 10-year-old wears diapers and drinks formula. Discipleship is teach them to obey all that I have taught you. It goes beyond that. So as Christians come together, organize, and say to different folks, that 17-year-old, that 21-year-old, whatever, that we're going to walk alongside you in this pregnancy and beyond. And that we're going to try to help that guy connect to you, um, you know, and, and and it's very practical stuff, Bob. I mean, you know, I, I a lot of guys have, have been fathers for for decades. Well, maybe a guy's running from this unplanned pregnancy because he never had a dad like I did. Maybe they're they're running from the pregnancy because he doesn't have a job. You got a business, will you give him a chance? Or maybe it's she can't get to her prenatal visits. You retired, can you drive? They don't have a place to live. You got an extra room, can you help? I mean, these are all the practical things that we can do. Life decisions need life support. And that life support is sitting in pews in churches across this country. And once the army of God is is mobilized this way, the gates of hell, which abortion represents, cannot prevail. Folks need that, that missing support that a woman's facing that leads her to abortion decision. That's the kind of support that we as Christians have to provide, need to provide. There's only one institution that can deal with a post-role environment in a God-honoring way, and it is the church. And that's what we have to be mobilized and be moving beyond sort of just a political narrative around this to a care narrative to offer compassion, hope, and help to those at risk for abortion. Roland, we just got a minute left. We have it's it's been a, a half a century since Roe was became the law of the land. I think a lot of people uh, for a while in the '80s with President Reagan, there, there were a lot of people who felt like we we got to take a stand. Felt like some of the steam went out of the pro life movement a few years ago. Do you think it's coming back? Well, I, absolutely. There's a tremendous amount of momentum, but the momentum, the wind in the sail, has to be on the care side. Look, I'm a black man. I'm like this all day. Other, your listeners may not know that, right? <laughs> we have a similar dilemma right now with, with the abortion issue that we had with slavery, right? The goal of the abolitionist movement was to abolish slavery, but that was the wrong goal. The goal of the abolitionist movement, frankly, should have been that black people have the blessings of liberty and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And in order for them to have that, they can't be slaves. So what happened with a, with a movement largely led by Christians was that black folks went off of plantations and went back on as sharecroppers. And we had Jim Crow and all these other things. Why? Because there wasn't a care response that was coupled with the advocacy response. If you talk to most Christians today, what's the goal of the pro-life movement? To overturn Roe v. Wade. That's the wrong goal. The goal of the pro-life movement from a Christian perspective is for children in the womb, outside the womb, anywhere, to have abundant life consistent with John 10.10. And in order for them to have abundant life, they need to have life. So we must overturn Roe v. Wade. But the goal is for them to have abundant life. Well, the abundant life that's laid out by Christ in John 10.10, that's the life that comes from the body of Christ. That's why coming alongside someone who's facing a pregnancy decision to help support God's design for family, and God's call to discipleship is so critical, and why you have to transition how you're thinking about this issue from being just pro-life to being pro-abundant life based on John 10.10. So I encourage your, your listeners to come to CareNet's uh, website, as you said, care-net.org. 
You can also visit makinglifedisciples.com to learn more about how you can personally get involved in what needs to happen to come alongside folks who are facing pregnancy decisions. Rollin Warren, our guest this afternoon. Rollin, thanks for the time and thanks for the great work that you guys are doing. As I said, we're going to continue to talk about this more tomorrow. I think this is such an important issue. When we come back, we're going to talk about where we find peace and how we find peace in a world where peace seems like a scarce commodity. That's coming up next. Stay with us.